0: Welcome back to the Go Dig a Hole podcast. On today's episode, we're joined with some special guests, Michael Ashley and Leanne Ellison. They're part of the team at Codify, a startup that makes mobile apps and databases for archaeology. Prior to joining Codify, Leanne worked with Digital Antiquity and TDAR, the Digital Archaeological Record. So she's been on the leading edge of digital archaeology during some interesting times for archaeology as a whole. Speaking of interesting times, we're about a month into the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, and most states are operating under stay-at-home orders or similar lockdown measures to limit the spread of coronavirus. While we adjust to incredible disruptions to our lives, there are opportunities to change the course of archaeology through digital tools. Most importantly, we have to be flexible and safe. Anyway, hope you enjoy this episode and uh, look forward to bringing some more New episodes of the Go Dig a Hole podcast, as well as uh, continuing to dig deeper into the archives to bring out some uh, older episodes. If you like what we're doing and you're able to uh, throw in some scratch, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash go dig a hole.
1: I just got finished taking a quick break and went and laid in the sun in the front yard for like ten minutes. <laughs> like, ah.
0: I uh, set up a little like camp chair outside yesterday, and I was working in the shade of one of my little trees in the side yard. It was nice. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, Katie. Yeah. How's it going? Well, so, uh, Michael and I were talking, um, time's a blur even more so than it normally is for me. But Michael, you introduced an idea about uh digital distancing and we've, we've had a few pretty good conversations coming out of that. And so, um, I figured to start off the, the chat about this, uh, how about you introduce that idea and we can, we can go on from there.
2: Yeah. Hey everybody. Um, yeah. So, you know, as we kind of are, have been all trying to navigate um, this new a um, uh, couple of realizations, one, you know, so Codify of course is, is this company that we built because we're really passionate about figuring out how to, get archaeologists kicking and screaming into the digital age was kind of the start base point but then um, you may know uh, that codify was acquired by paleo west which is now officially the kind of the largest coast to coast specifically and only cultural resource management firm so chris and i uh play double duty because we're in paleo west and the CTO is chief technology officer for paleo west uh as well as doing this codify stuff and it's meant you know, helping a firm that's well known for being um as I say tech forward also being ready for remote work, but spiritually, I found these words uh you know talking about social distancing um and and you know remote work to be um kind of off putting to what it means to be a human right I think that's kind of the deal, so I wanted to reach out to Chris to talk about ways that we can um help people to, to and help our, our industry, frankly, and, and this discipline that we care about so much um, embrace what's been kind of the normal way that many of us have been working for years. I've been running Codify as a, as a company that, it, that has a distributed team that works all over the world and have been very comfortable working with tools like you know, video conferencing and, and things of that nature. Um, and trying to try to get us back to embracing concepts of you know physical distancing I'm glad to hear that people are starting to talk about that now it feels like wait wasn't that the first thing we should talk about uh, ways wait, 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 wait it basically honestly be, besides you know just thinking about this from an archaeological perspective but also just as a from a human case of you know we have a lot of uh, built-in expertise just by how we work um, in using these tools to, to help us function um, as people. So that's the first part, and then the, but then the second part is, uh, and we talked about this right before this call, that the forecast for work right now, uh, for, for the need for, for archeology, span has never been more than now. I mean, we're gonna see both very positive, <laughs> say it out loud, I know you guys don't mind talking political here, um, we see some really positive things come out of this um, from, from various uh, you know, politicians, but we're also going to see some really stupid, uh, massive infrastructure projects that are just going to be to put people back to work. Um, we're seeing massive things to say in infrastructure and transportation, et cetera. And um, I think that we need to prepare for a, a, a tsunami of work coming at us in as early as May, certainly by June. We are, we are seeing no slowdown, as Payload no slowdown at all with work now. And the SHPO's and agencies we're talking to are not prepared for this work because they've had to go from dealing with physical paper and coming in physically personally for record searches to not being able to do any of that at all. And it, trying to adjust to that in what seems like months, but it has only been a couple of weeks. But literally in a couple more weeks from now, there will be new requests for work. And... Um, I think I think I I, 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 I could share with you guys some pretty serious concerns about how that's going to go. So instead of sitting here going, well, what are we going to do about it, or let's just wait and see what happens, that could be like a a new Netflix series. I'd rather say, what can we do about it? And today is the first day that we had the opportunity to start reaching out to people and and asking folks what they think about this idea and whether they want to do anything about it. And everyone we talked to so far wants to do something about it. That's kind of it. That's pretty much it. I mean, this um, it kind of. Thought about this term. Um got some more terms you can play with too, but that was the that was the main gist.
0: Yeah, it's really a unique moment that we're in. Like I mean, unique is one word for it, but it's I mean, we're in a pandemic. It's it's gonna change all of our lives. And Michael and Leanne and I were were speaking earlier today on on a, a separate portion of the call about kind of the the cultural and political context that we're in right now. And I, I mentioned Naomi Klein's book, uh, The Shock Doctrine, and she has um, a, f- a more recent follow-up to it called No Is Not Enough, where she outlines what she calls disaster capitalism, where there's this environment of austerity where conservative governments make uh, drastic cuts to social programs and various services, and we've seen archaeology and in you know the the public and private sectors being affected by that. But also in academia, you know, you've seen anthropology departments just get their budget slashed time and time again. And the the narratives behind that are, oh, we can't afford it, or we would have to cut something else. To uh, you know, afford these things like, and and all of these excuses for why we can't have just basic services um, and protections for you know our environment, our health, our cultural resources, um, and so where we are now is in a position where we faced a lot of austerity. CRM archaeology has operated on the low ball system for so long, um, especially surviving the last recession um it's really you know i think across the board amplified the the lowball environment for for work and wages and and projects um and so now we're kind of at this turning point where there's a crisis and uh at the political level you're seeing these decision makers engineering an even greater crisis um, where you know we're already seeing uh, pollution regulations in NEPA being uh, pulled back. We're already seeing the EPA just getting absolutely gutted, and so there's a lot of concern with archaeologists and, and Kirsten and Katie. We we talked about this on our last podcast about you know like is is NHPA next? Is Section 106 next? Um, and so there's a lot of tension and and concern for what we're doing now. But in terms of kind of the need for archeology span to be able to continue to work safely and smartly, um, it's really imperative right now because construction projects are still happening or at least small to medium construction projects. And so uh, just on the practical scale of being able to provide cultural resources, mitigation and monitoring and protection, like we we have a legal imperative to do it, um, but it's a challenge because our lives are literally at stake to do our jobs right now. Uh, so I think digital archaeology is is like really being called upon to provide some solutions.
1: yeah, I've seen some interesting um discussions of how the digital um tools have been implemented with successes and not clear successes or um, where there was uh, a post I saw recently this last week of someone who was doing monitoring um, remotely and that did not appear to go over well as ho- as they had hoped. So um, I can't really quote very much because I don't remember or who it was, but I just remember thinking, well, yeah, Um, (laughs) Uh, but like, I have no idea about how it was carried out or or what tools they were using, what sort of distance, um, any camera, what, you know, resolution or even internet speeds might affect um, these. There's a lot of factors that could go into whether or not something like that could be successful or not. So I think there's a lot more variables that We may not always um, take into play, especially with the general assumption that, well, you know, we have this technology on cell phones and they work everywhere, right? And most archaeologists know that's totally not true. Or anyone who's tried to navigate any downtown city, um, your reception's atrocious, like, you know, the video is not going to come through very well. So. I think there's a lot of potential, but also being careful and uh, really kind of field testing these methods before um, kicking them out to a project um, that has the uh, firm or the agency's reputation on the line, um, or work, uh, or tribe, (laughs) Um, as far as the, the relationships that um our work fosters between the different parties is so important that we can't just be like well let's try this and see how it goes like i think people forget that uh you know it's it is important to take some care into adopting these technologies in the field but i do think it is important to to test drive those um in different areas so that's that's my well, I think we also know that there are a lot, I mean, even before before the virus, before this particular issue, um, you know, SHPO's are, are overwhelmed as it is. They 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 can't deal with the number of, of things that they have coming in. They don't have enough compliance officers to process things. Um, and that's only going to get worse as work increases and people aren't there and they're dealing with, with paper. And I think Michael made an excellent point. Earlier that this is, if there was ever a time to get out of paper, this is the moment. Um, He he, and I'm stealing his thunder and his story here, but he had a great example of um, someone delivering some games and toys to their house, which are you know primarily paper puzzles and that sort of thing. And they're all going to have to sit outside and wait for you know 24 to 48 hours. And in the meantime, you know if you think about that and and you move that out to paper, you you come home from the field, nobody can deal with your stuff for. 24 to 48 hours before it can get handed off to the next person. So any opportunity that we have now to sort of reduce friction and take advantage of these tools that allow for immediate sharing of the information, um, more than ever, that's a real advantage today. Yeah, for sure. I know, um, Oregon Shipo recently put out a statement that they were quarantining any paper documents that came in for a week. Um, and on top of that, um, they had to, they were only picking them up once a week. So it was between a week to two weeks before the papers were even in the hands of any of the employees. Uh, so that made things doubly complicated um, for people who hadn't um, really jumped on board with their Go Digital program this last year. Um, so I know Oregon is not the only shipo. Obviously, there's a lot out there that have not converted to digital at all. And I think this is, like you guys were saying, the best time. You know, no no time better than the present, I suppose, but especially now. Um, partly not just because it's very appropriate um, for the reasons that you're saying, but I think also in times like these, I think people are more willing to instill new changes and to take chances on on, you know, New technologies or or improvements over times when things are kind of comfortable and people are in a routine. Like everyone's trying to create new routines or otherwise, you know, put things together in a way that works um, for the, you know, the team that they're working on. (laughs) The puppy.
3: (laughs) I just want to chime in. I mean, with some of the out going digital or. Moving in that way, there's also this tolling going on with the Section 106 process. So a lot of things are either stopping if they were midway through review. So I've just been seeing that being in the agency side. We've sent a lot of things Julie or have been trying to reach out, but ACHP is putting out these tolls on the Section 106 process and putting this weird like, sliding scale on where we're at So we're, you know, on that end trying to do our best, but we don't know if something has been stopped or if it's being reviewed or are they starting up again on this date or are they just, you know, it's kind of getting a little muddy in that water for for the tolling process, just a heads up.
0: Yeah, I have a couple permits that are in the queue for Oregon SHPO. Uh, They haven't been approved yet, but uh, I applied kind of as the shutdowns were happening and uh, I you know checked in with them just to see how things were going and confirmed that they're you know still on the same timeline but they did admit that you know they're seeing some some delays and, and just kind of like you know like I mentioned earlier archaeology support services are already stretched paper thin and uh, you know they, they said that they're just kind of overwhelmed with uh, one adjusting to working from home but two um, trying to keep things moving like business is normal. Um, so I, I'd wager, you know, and, and Oregon Shippo to their credit, they're, they are a fairly digital and, you know, tech forward Shippo. Um, I'd, I'd wager agencies that are not as um, adaptable. I can't imagine how stretched thin they are right now just to keep up with, uh, you know, construction projects that are still happening.
2: I mean, i, 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 can, I I'm, I'm Peeling an analogy um, out right now based on this toll thing because we had, I went to physically, I felt like I got to go on a road trip yesterday because I got to physically go to an office yesterday. I was the only one there. Uh, but on the way back, I crossed the bridge. Um, the, the, uh, it's the Richmond Bridge in um, in the Bay Area back into um, run County. And uh, that bridge is broken into two parts. You got the fast track to your electronic pass and then you have the toll takers, but the toll takers aren't there anymore. Um, literally overnight, they shut that down and they just said, now the sign that says, um, you know, you'll, you'll get a ticket in the mail. So you actually get a ticket and then you pay the ticket and the ticket won't be 50 bucks now to be, you know, the, the toll price. And that feels to me very much like, like there's two concerns there uh, that we should talk about. One is the system isn't, was never ready for dealing with the fact that we now can't have people that take tolls. But the other concern that we've heard at least twice in the last couple of days is a concern of, well, if we bring in this digital system, here we go again, we're going to displace jobs. And uh, I've heard it exactly never from any ship who I've talked to across the country that having systems in place that will make it easier to facilitate doing this work is anything other than good. Um, talking with Holly Norton, Chris and I did this just a couple years ago even, before they had a bunch of cuts. Um, they, they didn't have enough FTE as it were to, to deal with things as um, that they're already addressing. Um, and anything that could, that they could get that would help facilitate the quality of the work does what it has an amplifying effect to, to protect our cultural resources and all of us, that's what we're trying to do at the end of the day is, is to protect culture. That's why we got into this business in the first place. So, um, so, so that, that's, where, that, that's kind of where this whole thing came for me, um, was thinking about both our, our present insanity that we're addressing um, and then how, how it, what's going to happen when, when the volume turns up to 5,000 because it's going to. Um, so again, instead of going, oh, my God, um, you yeah, know I feel like we already have a lot of tools there's the, the 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 other the major bottleneck that we we see um, is in the throughput back and forth. so physically going to an office. Let me kind of lay this out for us and see if you guys can help me get it. I know that you know Kirsten works actually at the at, at an office, so we get this, but we we get there's an RFP that goes out, there's a project that might start, there's a grant that we've written, et cetera. We, we need to go get records. we need to know what happened in the world. Then we go out and do stuff. And some of those might be record right, site updates or maybe physically find a new thing. Um, we need to get all of that back to the records office and then hoping that uh, Leanne can carry this forward too. We know like, for example, in Arizona, there's actually a split between um, the record keeper folks or SHPO and those that actually are gonna ultimately give you that permit that's gonna let you start your project, right? And they have different needs. Um, so it isn't just about doing record searches or physically having to go to that one office in Nevada that you can only go to between the hours of two and five, you have to physically go there and they open the door and you go in and you fill out the paper and then they get you the map or they Xerox the paperwork and that's all true in 2020, we know that as the ultimate fringe case to having something like wizard or you know, the digital guest systems, et cetera, and the dist- distribution of all those things. But there's, to your point that you just described, um, there are so many moments that a digital system it, that isn't a system, it's just digital paperwork, actually just produces as much a barrier to communication as having paper. <laughs> At least with paper, someone checked it in and knows that they checked it in, and there's some, or if you have, a, if I put paper in, a, in an envelope and mail it, it has a date and a stamp, and there's a process that's been working since the Fun Express. I think what we're trying to talk about is, is a systemic change. Yeah. Is 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 reducing the ultimate latency, increasing tran- uh, um, transparency. This could be a, a, a pretty amazing thing. Making what we do much more relevant to the public. There are so many ways that this on- honestly is an entre- entrepreneurial opportunity, to an existential threat. You know, making the world a better place really feels like something we can actually do right now. So
1: yeah, some of that's, of course, just Selling everyone on the point of getting on board is some of the biggest challenge, especially in holdouts, like you 're saying for the Nevada office that you know it 's a system that they know, but right now i 'm sure they 're kicking themselves a little bit to for that um, and as far as getting people on board with something that uh, to move them forward once work starts really kicking back out i mean you you have to at least start with hiring additional employees and people who uh, specialized in Um, uh, implementing new systems Um, and as weird as that sounds and most archaeologists probably don't know that those people exist but there are system specialists out there that actually put in um, to to work some of these um, some of these larger systems um, for working uh, with both governments and agents you know, government agencies um, as well as the companies and individuals out there. And I think it's important for agencies that are looking to do this to stop trying to reinvent the wheel themselves and invent their own completely bespoke systems that nobody else can ever use uh, and, and take advantage of existing systems because there's quite a few out there that, that are already functioning and lots of smart minds have put a lot of money and time and effort into yeah that gets into that translation challenge though um and every as we all know, every agency has their own way of doing things um and it's just really difficult for some of those systems to translate into anything that's preset like you have to um rework everything that's currently existing, and that's where it gets into like additional staff to translate everything into a new system um and like temporary folks for um, a couple of years to to kind of move everything into that and I know uh, that's something that has happened um, in some of the state offices here in Oregon to where they had people from different agencies come in um, to help translate the old paper files into digital or um, you know put things into the new format and how to to dig out the, the information that's needed because obviously in any of these system translations you're not gonna have the same fields. You're not gonna necessarily have um, all of those same, yeah, it's just, it's, I guess, acknowledging that it's a messy process and there's really no way of avoiding it and getting people who know what they're doing to help out, <laughs> um, like you're saying, with setups that already exist that work well um, is really the, the best way to go. And there's, you know, lots of different um, systems out there that exist, you know, so, you know, some are better than others, uh, but also some may work for, you know, existing systems better than others. Um, But I think an advantage that we all know archaeologists are never going to standardize on anything. So it's no surprise that there's that there's no standardization, but the advantage of of identifying some of these already existing places is that most of them um, are have archaeologists on staff who who understand this need for specialization need for specialization and customization to regions and agencies and companies and all of that. So yes, definitely, definitely encourage people to to look in those those directions. For sure.
3: Not to be the awkward one here, but I actually have to sign off. <laughs> So it was good hearing some of this talking about it. Um, I'm actually going to go help someone practice a presentation for their uh, thesis defense tomorrow. So it's going to be fun.
0: Nice. Well, thanks for uh, joining while you could, Katie. It was good seeing you.
3: Yeah, it was good seeing you guys. It was very nice meeting you. Good luck.
2: (laughs) So can we we turn to the point you just made? Because I think that was a really good place to carry on from.
0: Oh about um standardization so kind of, yeah. versus translation uh versus yeah. flexibility yeah yeah and kirsten you you said a really important point, i think it about like managing expectations um and and leanne about like just realizing that it's gonna be a messy process um i I think that kind of those two points. Are applying to every facet of our lives right now, not just the digital archaeology portion, but like managing our expectations and understanding that things are going to be pretty messy for a little bit. Uh, That's, I think, every part of our life, no matter what we're doing right now, but especially for digital archaeology, you know, like, uh, and also like to go back to the the point about working with existing. Kind of tried and true solutions that already have some momentum and and some stability to them. Um, the other part of that that we've seen historically before this crisis started was um, the the story that we kept hearing from various agencies and CRM firms and even academic projects were you know like one individual or one team or one you know business group. Gets a solution. Maybe it's an in-house solution. Maybe it's it's a it's an already existing platform. But they start to develop a program around digital archaeology. And then when that person or that team leaves or dissolves or the funding gets cut, what support is left for that? You know, is is it stuck in a platform that is not translatable? Is it stuck in a platform, um, you know, that nobody else is trained to use? Stuff like that. So those are the kinds of concerns that I think have traditionally been obstacles to adopting digital archaeology. And, you know, like not to not to make this the the codify advertisement show, but I mean there are benefits to using platforms that have that flexibility baked in so that it's not a proprietary file format and stuff like that. So that it's just, you know, like one, make sure it's secure, but two, make sure that it's usable across platforms.
1: Yeah, and I think some of those are the biggest challenges, especially for archaeologists looking at digital. Is one, not to like really dig into the uh, faults of a lot of archaeologists, or there's a lot of people who are very resistant to digital, and I think that's really starting to fade um, in the last few years, which is nice to see. But for a long time, man, like that just wouldn't go away. but even still, like there is hesitancy around um, being able to encrypt things properly um, you know archaeology and cultural resources has some of the it's one of the few fields and in information databases that is used um, locally and up to nationwide, but is um, not what's the best word uh, the, the words that I'm looking for it is um not um, under, like you cannot use the Freedom of Information Act to retrieve uh, that confidential information, which is unique in a lot of different agency works um, that have to do with uh, regulation. So it is a rare specimen in that case. Um, And that's where I think a lot of the public still thinks of archaeology as a black box and being able to create um, ways to have more public outreach um, to uh, in, in, ethic, in an ethical manner, uh, to sell. Uh, it's probably the worst way to say it, but to sell the public on it. But to also just let them know that this is, they're generally for it anyway. They just don't necessarily like the idea of red tape. But when people are like, well, your childhood baseball stadium is going to get ripped down for a strip mall, that's cool then right because you know dollars and people are like wait right no no that's not okay like why would they do that um that's special to me and to my community it's like well that's gets into the, the cultural portion of of why these um like the nhpa was put into uh, act and just reminding the public of of why this stuff is here why these laws are in place um, as fragmented as they seem, um, because we have to be able to get the general public as well as um, professionals behind being able to defend um, and really push for not only the legitimacy of our science in our field, but also for um, the, the importance of it in the public sphere. Um, and I think even a lot of professional archaeologists, you know, they lose sight of the forest for the trees in the doing all the paperwork and kind of forget what the bigger picture is and why we're, why we're doing this. And it's, it's important to keep our eyes on that. Um, but somehow creating types of public outreach to remind us of that, I think would be an important part of creating these new systems. Um, even if it's not on every project, cause you can't have public outreach for everything, but, um, just in a general sense and also, you know, making it personal for people is, is important.
2: And there's a lot there uh, to unpack, but I wanted to touch on just a couple of key points. That was amazing. Um, you started with, like, I think you said "encrypt." I mean, the, the reality of this information I've had the, uh, the opportunity, I know Leanne has too, um, to work with, you know, groups, you know, indigenous groups and, and tribes and, and other folks that are, um, that really can be disenfranchised if if the data that's has been collected not necessarily on the right half it gets into the wrong hands uh, i worked on a project in in Peru where uh you know they were they were doing a climatology uh impact um looking at the impacts of climate change on 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 folks who were who were work, or living there and and the information being collected you know uh was very precise in terms of its, you know, ge- geographic information. Let's just I just leave it there. where you collecting oral history information from people, taking photographs with a GPS-enabled phone, mashing that up with that with these testimonials, and now we have a big problem. Again, paper and and note taking and all that actually slows that process down and protects people. But we've actually solved those things. We can, I mean, th- 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 we can make information much more. Uh, much more safe and save these aspects of it. In California, the form that you put in, the 523A form has everything you need to know about the project, that, that form can never be public because it has the exact precise geolocation, it's got a photograph and a clear description. And I've talked about the idea of making a public DPR form. And to do that, if, it, if, if somebody had to do the effort of taking that same form and making it redacted, even the language of that is terrible, back to the kind of purpose of this call from my perspective is, Wait a minute, so we're not talking about, what we're talking about is you collect information and we have a differential access to the information or a differential way that their information is actually rendered. Um, And so my experience working with the SHPAs and agencies and, uh, and, and firms and research projects is everyone is, we're all special, exactly to what Leanne said, every archaeologist is a snowflake and we're good about that. So instead of trying to make us all not be snowflakes and not get exactly what we want, that is the one thing. Again, we're not making a codified show. It's been just like this is how we've learned is in the world of the way that kind of information science has come to uh, to to grow and evolve. It's there's this blob of information that can be collected. If it's collected in the right way, then you can push it into the forms that it needs to be, uh, and that would be really great, right? So has to go to a wizard one way and California a different way. And um, you know, this particular tribe needs it in such and such a way. And to, to, to get your taxes done, you, do, you, know, you get the idea. And that's really been kind of the spiritual center of what we've been trying to accomplish is, is, is teach people good practices about collecting archival quality information and then make it possible to, to distribute that in ways that are ethical, secure, end-to-end encrypted all the stuff that zoom's getting bashed for and you know it's it's not easy it's been really hard that's why it's taken us seven years to even get to this conversation but we're but it's very optimistic about it to be honest and and then and and then here we are because one more point i'd like to say is you know yes when there's no pressure you can have your form exactly as you want you can use whatever technology you want you can have you know peanut butter and avocado on your toast? Right now, you don't get to do that. I mean, so I went out at seven o'clock this morning once again to try to find disinfectant wipes. It's not a thing. So, in, in in times when stone soup is what you get to eat, maybe this is an opportunity for us to make that as delicious as we can, as nutritious as we can, and 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 but also just be realistic about what we can do. Yeah. Reset. Sure. This is a reset moment. Yeah. So yeah. yeah
1: yeah and it's you know it's good to get the minimal out there but also to be uh put out the possibility for being as ambitious as possible it's like what is our minimum what do we need to have now and then we have potentially another month or two of this so we might as well try and make plans to do the best that we can with it as time moves forward so we'll see how it all unfolds but being flexible like you've been saying and and being able to move forward with plans as they come and as things change. I mean, I think if there's any big lesson we've all learned is to just kind of take each day with a grain of salt and go with whatever <laughs> comes our way or doesn't um, and doing the best with what we got. I wanna jump back to something that both Michael and Kirsten kind of touched on about, about best practices and, and protecting information. I think digital provides a real opportunity for this, but it does involve a little bit of a a shift in the way that that people do their work. Um, I think digital can really easily facilitate sharing of information and in a way that's acceptable and appropriate for the public, which is the audience we need to be reaching so that we can continue to encourage people to value these places that we also all value. Um, And one of the things, um, when I worked for Digital Antiquity with TDAR, and one of the best practices that we spent a lot of time trying to instill is encouraging just the way that we write our reports a little bit differently, um, encouraging most of that redacted information to exist in an appendix so that rather than having to create redacted copies of documents, you could just lop off that appendix, and that front part can become a publicly accessible document, that back end that includes whatever that, that sensitive information is, whether it's you know, sensitive cultural information or site location or whatever, have that be a separate document or a separate piece of the document rather than embedded within so that people can really quickly separate those two out, make the public version public and the, the private version private. And digital allows you to do that in a way that's, that's incredibly easy. Um, and, and there's a lot of tools out there that let you protect that information in a really fantastic way while sharing what's appropriate. So I think um, with a little bit of effort, we can all do a lot better on that. And I think there's a lot of steps that have been made towards that, which um, everybody wins.
0: I don't know how to follow that up. (laughs) That was, that (laughs) was a really (laughs) good point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nicely said.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was very, very nicely said. Um, I, I would say, you know, with all the struggles and, and, Challenges that we're facing in this crisis, there are a lot of opportunities. I, th- I think that you know you've all brought up some really great points about the opportunities that archaeologists and archaeology have right now to um, strengthen the discipline, strengthen our methods and our technologies, um, but also to kind of use these tools to advocate for us, the practitioners of Archaeology, um, you know, to advocate for the importance of cultural resources and heritage protection in this time of crisis, but also beyond this time of crisis to demonstrate, you know, the the kind of stability of the importance of our discipline. Um, and I I think, you know, digital archaeology and the tools that are used to do digital archaeology are the way to you know demonstrate that.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is this is a sh- the subtle shift. Um, before the pandemic kicked in, I was doing some work with Leanne uh, in an outside group that has done some fantastic uh, marketing work for a company we work with in the, in the UK. And uh, one, they're not archaeologists, so one of the things that they were responding to, I guess that's one way of saying it, um, they weren't really super excited about paperless. They didn't think that paperless was the hang, you know, on, on, my, on our stickers, we got paperless as, as the hang line um, because we're still trying to get people to go paperless. Well, I think we're past that too. I, I, I hear that, that idea. But what I was trying to get going in this chat was like, if I, to make it personal, is, is just some subtle tweaks to practice that we're all doing every day. We can still go on walks. We can still see each other. We can have our howls, we're doing that here. I don't know if you guys are doing the eight o'clock howls, we've got this whole howl thing, but you guys know what the howl? No? Oh, uh, at eight o'clock here in the Bay Area at least, um, and in Italy they're doing the same thing, of course, you've heard about the, uh, you know, the, on the balconies, everyone's are playing music at certain times and doing all that, but here at eight o'clock every night, uh, we do a howl and everyone comes out and gets all the noise makers and now people are playing music and stuff for all the um, first responders and, and health workers, and it's totally awesome. We're figuring out ways to do things that are subtle, but are impactful. So maybe we change the words from paperless to touchless. You know, uh, point out that you can put hand sanitizer and things on a screen, and and then you can pass it to somebody. It's really hard to do that with paper. These are really, I think, I think together we are we're really smart people that can I think can band together and come up with ways of of effectively building out our own campaign for improving the way that we work. And, and as to, to Kirsten's points, everyone's point here, but really making what we do much more relevant to the public. There, I love what, what you just said Leanne. the end. I mean, let's, let's help train each other to write reports that don't front load all of the things that can't be shared with anybody else. I know, I know it's like, I mean, I understand like in breaking news, like today to at the quarter, such and such, this happened because that's how we want to report archaeology. But, but we don't really write that way. It's much more, it's much more deductive than that. So, th- this is to me what I feel like is a change. I have a couple of questions for for you, probably for mostly for, for, for Pearson. Is if I know right now unequivocally we have the will and we have the ability to go to governors because that's actually happening right now. Haley West is reaching out. To governors and agencies and SHIPOs across the country right now, and getting very positive responses generally to just being responsive, to wanting to help the economy to not employ, to wanting to figure out how, we, how we're gonna put what no 20 million, 20%, sorry, of the of the country, it'll be 30% maybe unemployed back to work. So we all every one of us wants that to happen. So let, I, I'm gonna take it for granted that we all want that to happen. My question is. What can we do about that? How can we help? How can we get the coalition of the willing to, to, to be willing? What, 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 what do we think would, would help get that to happen? Um, because we're willing to do it. I mean, you know, Leanne and I and, and everyone on this call I think is willing to help make that happen. I'm just curious, like, what do we think would spark people in action? What, what can we do to help? It can't be top-down. It can't only be bottom-up. It ain't gonna meet in the middle. It's gotta be an initiative. It's gotta be something that has a will to happen. Any ideas?
1: I I'm not sure. Um it's yeah, I've been um me well, eyeball deep in my thesis for the last since this started, so I haven't put a whole lot of thought into that. Um I know part of the challenges is, is trying to maintain the output of permits and contracts for the larger um uh the, the stuff the reason why we tend to go out anyway. Um, I know construction unions are having um some challenges in getting to uh safety uh, protocols really set in place um, and their workers respected. And so there's been, uh, from I've seen a couple of um, occurrences here in Oregon where uh, Foreman will get his crew to walk off site. Um, So part of it is making sure that uh, our workers, both uh, construction workers and uh, archaeologists, are respected and valued and um, that our work is taken uh, not taken for granted but taken as something that's valuable and important um, shoving off a lot of the regulation uh, the top-down portion that you're talking about and that Chris mentioned earlier with uh, NEPA and uh, the potential for other uh, regulatory um, Uh, work being pushed aside doesn't help anyone Um, and if anything it really devalues a lot of that work um, and the development for which uh, the regulatory work helps support uh, because despite what a lot of foremen tend to think, um, we're there to help And, and you know same with the biologists and anyone I mean we're all working together to make sure that the development can happen safely Um, not just for the workers and the communities, but for everyone. And I think people lose sight of that Um, and figuring out ways to really put the word out there. Uh, So that's where you get your, what you might call your, your PR or, um, you know, the, the writers and the bloggers and um, all of the academics that are at home twiddling their thumbs because they can't go into the lab can, can help out and, Put their uh, like myself, put um, <laughs> their uh, their work forward to to help uh, encourage the value of of this type of work, um, because like you know a lot of people I've heard say it's this is not a regular economic downturn like things will bounce back very quickly, given we are all supported and support each other so. I think that is probably the, the most important piece that we can really do is to, to reinforce that. And to Chris's point, as far as moving protections for archeology span forward and to, to help support our, um, our field and field workers, making sure that we value our employees as well and do, don't underbid because that underbidding undermines the value of our work and it sets the image that it's not important. So, you know, we have a really high uh, degree inflation and I think uh, our work for the breadth of knowledge that each individual has should really be reflected in uh, our respect as well as our pay. Yeah. And our professionalism. (laughs) I'll, I'll put
0: that out there too. <laughs> I completely agree, Kirsten. It's uh, it, it's it's one thing to uh, like pay lip service to the value of cultural resources and archaeology, but it's another to back it up with things like providing a safe work environment, providing sanitation equipment for the people that are going out in the field, providing hazard pay if they are. You know exposed, which I think honestly every worker that's still working is working because they've been deemed an essential worker, and if you're an essential worker in a pandemic, you deserve hazard pay because you're risking your life and you know like I had a conversation with an archaeologist who's working in the southeast for you know sixteen dollars an hour and it's it's like i don't I don't know you know it, there's a lot of difficult decisions that people have to make about you know like it's difficult to go without a paycheck, um, especially when you're making that kind of an income. Um, But it's also difficult to accept the risk of going to work for, you know, that amount of pay. And so at some point you have to decide like what's, what's better unemployment or, you know, uh, your paycheck. Um, And so, there have to be protections. I, I think that we're at a, a turning point where the lowball system has to die, it has to go away, and we have to demonstrate that we are essential and we have to demand uh, protection and you know proper uh, safety and proper compensation in, in the workplace.
1: I was just gonna say, and this is a quick one, that we've already been deemed essential and I think that's an yeah. important point to come back to later.
2: Well, I mean, you know, I was listening to the radio this morning, you know, um, uh, if you're a truancy officer, you're working for, it, you know, at Juvie, you're, you're essential too. So we are essential. Um, we're not going to compare ourselves right now. Obviously, people are physically in the hospital. They have to be inside the nest of COVID. But to your absolute point, I can tell you right here right now that uh, speaking with the uh, folks across the, uh, uh, the Payless company, um going back to, to contracts and say, look, you want this contract in for, we need a, a percentage bump up in order to take care of this risk. It's very real. So yes, I think, I think this is not a time to lowball. Um, it's, it's the opposite. It's a time to, to get the work actually valued. And there's a, so many different ways we can do that. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a, you know, Think, think all of you know me well enough to know I'm, I'm the eternal optimist but I'm also um, I'm a cynical optimist but I'm pretty optimistic right now that that this is a moment where where so long as we're working on this level kind of the as I said the lower middle we can mm-hmm. probably do a lot but, but the top down I'm also looking at is is how to basically have an inception plan and make this Politician's idea <laughs> um, and a good idea that, that that what we are doing is essential. It is the very first thing you need, you want to get that road. The very first people you're going to call is us because it's true. Call us as a biologist, then you get your road. So we are essential. Uh, that is and 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 it, and it might be a bit more than you want to spend, but that's okay because you certainly have big pocket, pockets of money that you need to spend to stimulate the economy. And so it's
1: better than having to go back and redo the road halfway after it's built or after half of it's built like the alternate I have to remind people and they give me this weird look as far as like why would I why is this important I'm like well (laughs) um the alternate might be you know some of these worst case scenarios uh pop up you know from early uh or intro to CRM law classes Mm -hmm. always have really good horror stories um and those are situations that contractors always want to avoid and they're always possible.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Well, who wants to close this out with another positive note?
1: I don't know. I think archaeologists as as a bunch, those of us who are, who are uh, still in the biz and in trying to, to make things move forward are a pretty optimistic bunch. And I think that we can make things happen um, in a positive push forward. And we just have to remind people that, you know, that's, necessary, not just a want, it's a need. And if there was ever a time to make some major changes for the better, now is it? I don't know that we'll ever have a chance like this. I hope not like this. (laughs) But um, I agree. All all of the sort of status quo and arguments for the status quo, um, this is is our our one chance to really push through those and and make this the discipline that we want it to be.
2: I mean, I'll add one simple thing, and that is that in, in how many times that we've gone and uh, to what's been brought up over and over in this in this in this show, hey, how would you like to do this? What do you think of this? And they're like, yeah, no, we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing. I'm not getting any of that right now. I'm getting, oh yeah, let's let's do this. This is good. I mean, and that's exciting. And it's and it's not and we're not trying to make work it's the opposite. We're trying to, we're really truly, really, if you will, quote, trying to stimulate our own, our own discipline. Uh, to make it a bit more broad, um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited. That's why we wanted to get this going. Um, and yeah, it, cer- it certainly beats the, the alternative of sitting there trying to figure out you know how to hack Monopoly on my iPad. So yeah, it's good times.
0: <laughs>
2: I did that by the way. But I'll talk about that.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Leanne, Michael, thank you so much for joining. Um, anybody who's listening to this who wants to check out Codify you can go to codifi.com. And uh, is there anything else people should know?
2: Uh, just, just reach out. Uh, be, you know, uh, just, just reach out. Um, honestly, at this point, remembering that we are first and foremost a Benefit Corporation trying to change things for the better is really where we're at right now. So um, yeah, I would love to hear from you. Thank you guys for making this Yeah, up.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: I appreciate it. It was a very spirited conversation and I, I had to try and like keep it in the box. I was like, I I keep wanting, you know, it's like a a lot of things have happened this week and (laughs) (laughs) I keep, I keep wanting to be like, you had the safe option. You had the moderate option. That was the compromise. There is no more compromise.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. There's only a giant guillotine named Clappy.
2: <laughs> yep. It's time to time to space ourselves out. Put on a mask. Yep. Yeah. Figure out different ways to go to church. We we want, I won't stir I won't stir us up. <laughs> there are other ways, people. Most yeah.
1: archaeologists should have been wearing a mask anyway if they're in the field and it's dusty. Right. Meet your OSHA requirements, people.
0: Yep. It's what we do. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right, folks. I got to run.
1: You know, Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: All right. Talk time. to you
1: soon. Yeah.
0: Bye-bye. Take care now.
1: You too.